The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's sermon continues our look at the book of Job. You may recall that last time we began an introduction to the book of Job, and today's sermon sort of continues that introduction. We look at the major themes of Job, and we lay the groundwork for going on into the book of Job and seeing what it says about suffering and the nature of God and the nature of Satan. On one other note, you may notice some issues with the audio in this sermon. As I stated in the last sermon that we posted, we used two different sources to record audio here at Zion Church, and we had to piece them together somewhat due to some problems with the main recording. I apologize for the quality issues, but hope it won't take away from the content of the sermon. So join us as we continue this series on the book of Job, which I believe will help us in dealing with the sufferings of this life. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
by way of uh, background, we need to understand a few things about the book of Job. First of all, the book of Job, according to scholars, is the oldest book in the Bible. It's the oldest written book. Now, it does not deal with the oldest events of time. Genesis deals with that. But Genesis, according to the historians, was written later by Moses. Job was written first and deals with a specific event that occurred in Job's day. Again, Genesis obviously deals with the oldest things of the Bible, but it was written later. Now, all these books in the Bible, we believe, are the inspired Word of God. But the, the thing about Job that is so interesting to me and ought to be interesting to us is that it's the, it's the oldest known account. It's the oldest, it's the first account of a man's relationship with Jehovah God. Now, you know, as I said, don't, don't get confused. Genesis deals with the creation and all the things from then on up, and it's accurate. There's nothing inaccurate about it. But Job is a book, Job is a book that is entirely devoted to one man and his friends and God and their interaction. And, and it's a very important book. And the reason it's important is because if, if we misunderstand the book of Job, we can very easily misunderstand the nature of God himself. The book of Job is taught in many ways out in the denominational world. And I'm sorry to say most of those ways are, are not accurate. They're not applying Job. They make God be the afflictor of God's children. They make him be the one who's causing suffering. And I want to say to you that based on the true understanding of the book of Job, we're going to learn something a whole lot different about God than that, and a whole lot better. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and give you the cheat sheet. God is not the cause of Job's suffering. We're going to see that as we go through it. There's a whole other entity out there that causes his suffering, and his name is Satan, which means the adversary. But we'll come back to that. Now, another thing I said Wednesday night that I want to repeat tonight is that one thing about Job that we need to remember, it certainly contains a lot of suffering and a lot of struggles and all that, but the book of Job is not primarily a book about Job's suffering. See, Job's problem is not so much physical and, uh, and material, you know, losing his health and losing his wealth, but it's primarily theological. It deals with the nature of God himself and the view that Job has and that we, by proxy, have of, of the nature of God. It, it, I said the other night, I, I think I need to say it again. I hope you understand, though. It's also not a fictional account. It's a true account. Job was a real person. This really happened. You can look sometime over to the 14th chapter of Ezekiel, about the 14th verse. God names three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. And he names them in a sense that you know they have to be real. Over in the book of James, we read about the suffering of Job, and the, or the patience of Job, rather. He's a real person. And as I said earlier, the book of Job is not a book about God afflicting Job. I want to make that clear as I can make it throughout this whole uh, series, if we do one on the book of Job. The one who afflicts Job is Satan. The one who causes Job problems is Satan, the adversary, the devil, not God. So 
I also want to direct your attention, keep your finger in the book of Job, but turn with me over to the book of James, the fifth chapter. And sometimes we ask the question, what is Job all about? What is the book of Job all about? Well, I think we can find it. You know, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. The best interpreter of a book of the Bible is the Bible itself. And here we find the writer James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking of some problems in life. He, 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 he starts in verse 8. He says, be ye also, I'm sorry, back 7, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, now I want to just stop there. That's a whole message in and of itself. You know, we get patient. We, we get impatient. We get impatient in life, right? But sometimes we're proud of ourselves because we're, we're patient. We think we're patient. You know, somebody did us wrong. Well, I'm just going to wait until the Lord takes care of him. <laughs> I'm going to wait till his fortunes fail and vengeance comes upon him. But you know, God says that's not what we're to be waiting for. We're not to be waiting for some event in this life to occur to right all the wrongs of life. Because if you're waiting for that, it's never going to happen. You're going to be waiting forever because this life does not. You know, I told my kids so often when they were kids, they were young. Something would happen at school. Maybe, you know, a teacher would treat them wrong. They would, they would, they would, misunderstand, they would misperceive something they did. Or maybe they just weren't treated fair. But you know what my message to them was? It wasn't to run down there and jump on the teacher. It was to say, kids, listen, life is not fair. If you're looking for fair, if you're looking for justice, if you're looking for the scales to balance out in this life, it will not do it. That's, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in this world. We're not expecting everything. You know, we're not, we're not counting up in one column the good things and in another column the bad things and expecting them to balance out at the end of our lives. Most likely, at the end of our lives, if we look just from birth until death, the bad things are going to outweigh the good things. The injustices are going to outweigh the justices. But I'll tell you, beloved, praise God, our hope is not in this life. He didn't say, be patient until these things all work out. He said, no, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. You know what the great hope of every child of God is? It's not that the stock market will rise. It's not that the election will go your way. It's not that those who are guilty will be punished. It's not that those who are innocent will be cleared. It is that the Lord is coming back. We are looking for that day. That's what we're to be patient unto. We're not to be patient. You know, I, I've, I've had the experience before say, well, I've been patient, Lord, but it still hasn't worked out. Well, you had not been patient long enough, you know. One day the Lord is coming back and he will set all things right. He will set all things in their proper place. You see, it's our patience unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye, in other, in other words, in other words a, a farmer doesn't go out and plant a seed and then stand there impatiently tapping his foot the day he planted it to wait to see, well, why is it not coming up yet? <laughs> why is it not coming up yet? I, I, I planted this thing today. I planted this corn, uh, this corn seed yesterday, and it's still not coming up. If you're doing that, you're going to be a very frustrated farmer. You can't be a farmer if you're an impatient person. Let me tell you, it, it's, it, it taxes you. It taxes your, 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 your stress level will go up. You've got to be patient because things don't work out just like that.
The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit. He puts in the time. He has long patience for it, you see. And he says like that in verse 8, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That's what we're waiting on. And he goes on to say, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. In other words, don't be mad at each other. Get over it. <laughs> Get over yourself. Don't be, don't be fussing and fighting all the time. For the judge standeth before the door. Now, that's, I don't believe that's talking primarily about uh, God's fixing to uh, render his wrath on you if you don't act right. What I believe that's talking about is still pointing us to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't be angry with one another. Grudge not against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. In other words, Jesus is just waiting till the Lord, till his father says, go to come back. The judge, the righteous judge, my righteous judge. You know that song we sing, when thou my righteous judge appears. I look forward to the day when the righteous judge appears and he sets all things straight. And then he goes on in verses 10 and 11. This is what I really wanted to get to. Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. That word happy is the word that's translated blessed in the Beatitudes. Blessed. It doesn't mean you're going around with a smile on your face and everything's working out for you. It means you're blessed in the midst of troubles. In the midst of the trial, he says, we count them happy which endure. Now listen to this. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, I read all that to get to this verse, because I think there's two things in this verse that tell us, that this, that this verse tells us, that are very important about the book of Job. And in fact, it's two themes in the book of Job. And there's a third theme, at least, I think, that we're going to talk about. But there's two themes in the book of Job, and that is patience and, and pity. Patience and pity. The patience of Job. And that word patience means keeping on, keeping on. That's what that means. And, you know, not sitting down, not rolling over and going to sleep. That means keeping on, keeping on. But notice the ultimate the ultimate description of what the Lord is doing in the book of Job, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You see, if you, if you take away from the book of Job an idea that God is somehow arbitrary or angry or, or somehow oppressive in the way he deals with Job. And many people look at it that way. Uh, I mean, I've heard it, people say, I don't like the book of Job because I don't like what God did to Job. Well, if you've got that attitude and that understanding of the book of Job, you've missed the boat. You've missed the theme. You've missed the point. The summation of the book of Job is found right here in James. James says it's about the patience of Job and the pity of God. God is the end of the Lord. We've seen through Job the end of the Lord that he is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, now let me stop there and just say this. You say, well, I know situations like Job's. And I know that ultimately Job ends up coming out of the troubles and coming out of the trials. And he's blessed more at the end than he was at the beginning. But I know people that didn't experience that kind of material blessing. Let me ask you this. Do you know any children of God that died do you? I do. I know a lot of them that died. You know what happens at the death of a child of God? You know what the dying day is for the child of God? 
It's the best day of their lives. Now listen, it's sad for us that lose them. But when I come to lay my body down and to give up my spirit uh, to the call of the Lord, it'll be the best day of my life. I can think of great days in my life. I can think of, you know, mountaintop experiences, but there's never been a mountaintop experience like the experience that my, my own father had back in January of 2020 when he breathed his last breath. My brother and I looked at each other across his dying bed and said, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Not, hey, we miss him terribly. I miss him horribly. But let me tell you, beloved, he is in a place where I would never uh, try to get him to come back from. I always think about poor old Lazarus. <laughs> poor old Lazarus. Lazarus, he got the worst deal of anybody in the whole Bible. Probably anybody in the whole world. Old Lazarus died and was in the presence of the Lord and had to come back and die again. <laughs> I know I've told you all this. I love the story about Mr. Renzo Abrams. When he got to the point where he was on his, they thought he was on his deathbed, they'd call the family in. He was in his early 90s. And we all heard, a oh, Pap's about to die, you know. Well, Pap got better. He lived a bunch more years after that. But uh, somebody came by right after he recovered and said, Mr. Renzo, we're so thankful that you recovered. And you remember his high voice. He said, Lord, I'm not. He said, I just got to go through it all again, <laughs> you know. And that's the truth. You think about it. He had gotten prepared. He got in his mind ready to see Jesus. And then he had to, he had to go through it all again. Poor old Lazarus had it worse than Pap. <laughs> he had it worse than Mr. Renzo. He had to come back and he had to die again. Man, I tell you, beloved, when, 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 when I lay this old body down, don't call me out of the grave. I don't want anybody to resuscitate me. I want to be with my Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be here as long as the Lord will bless me to be able to be of benefit to his kingdom, to my family, to my community. I want to be here. I want to live as long as, as, as I can. But I tell you, beloved, the day I die will be the best day of my life. See, the end of the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. In other words, He pities us. And there are times He pities us so much that He doesn't let us stay here in this sin-cursed world. I don't look at the death of some young person or some, you know, sometimes we, we hear of tragedies. This young person who died, this young lady who died over at Rocky Mount Church, it's a sad thing for her family. And it's a tragedy as we look at it. But the truth of the matter is, that young person, I'm 54 years old. She was about 22 years old. I'm still waiting to see my Savior. And she's already seen Him. <laughs> she's already in His presence. Oh my, how I envy that young person that passes from this life. I know it's a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not promoting uh, rejoicing when someone dies. But I tell you this, I am promoting not sorrowing as the world sorrows with no hope. Because the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And that's one of the main themes of this book of Job. If you come away with anything else, you've missed a great deal of the message. There's one other thing. Now, now look, I don't pretend to have all the answers about Job either. Let me just go ahead and make that disclaimer. I can't describe and explain every detail of the book of Job, just like I can't describe and explain every detail of all the theological points in the scriptures. But I do believe there's at least one other theme in the book of Job that we, we discussed Wednesday night, and that is the theme of pride. And that theme is twofold. First of all, God is proud of his children. 
God can have pride and it not be wrong because he's God. God is proud of his children when they're faithful. He's proud of Job, as we see in this book. God delights in the faithfulness of his servants. We're going to see something in a minute here when we get into the book, how that God does point out to the adversary, the devil, the faithfulness of Job. He points out that Job is an upright and a just and a righteous man. Now, now we know that Job's not sinlessly perfect. In fact, as we get into the book of Job, we'll see that Job has some problems. He's, primarily his problems are some pride. But, but Job was the greatest of all the men of the East in that time, and apparently he was, according to God himself, there was none greater than him. He was a, there's none like him in the earth. He was the most righteous man in his living and the way he lived on the earth. God delights in the faithfulness of his service. I just want to read you. You don't have to turn there. If you take notes, you can write these down. But listen to this, just to, to back that up. Psalm 147 and verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Now, I know that you and I are worms of the dust. I know in our human nature there's nothing good. I know there's none good. No, not one. I know that in our flesh, as Paul said, there dwelleth no good thing. But he's talking about his children who have been born of the Spirit, who have a new nature and now can serve him. He delights when they do serve him. He likes it. He, he takes pleasure, it says, in them that fear him. Proverbs 11 and verse 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You notice we talk about the, the false balance a lot, but what about the just balance? The just weight, in other words, the person who deals truthfully with others out there, even to his own hurt and his own detriment, God delights in that. Proverbs eleven twenty. They that are of a froward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are His delight. Over in the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that the, that the Lord's portion is His people and Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. You know, we think often about how much we love God and how much we ought to love Him for what He's done for us. But have you thought about how much He loved us? Have you thought about how much he delights in us? Think about your own children. Think about those of you that have loved ones, the, the closest relationship you have to anyone in this earth. And then multiply that exponentially beyond calculation because that's how much more God loves you than you love anyone around you. You know, my mama loves me. Y'all know that. My mama loves me. And I'm thankful that my mother loves me. But she doesn't have a, she can't touch the love of God. God loves me so much more than she does. It's hard to even fathom. It's so much so that we sing a song that tells us that uh, he'll not dwell in heaven and leave me behind. See, we're the lot of his inheritance. He delights in those. And when we do right, he delights in us. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. <laughs> Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But listen to this. I love this. The prayer of the upright is his delight. You know what that tells me? 
If, if, some of you may have children that have moved off. They don't live at home anymore. We, we're that way. We have, still have Mason at home, but the others uh, move off, have moved off. And you know, there's just nothing like getting a phone call from one of your children, is there? There's just nothing like talking to one of your loved ones who you hadn't seen in a while. You know what this tells me? God loves to talk to his children. The prayer, what is prayer? It's just talking to God. It's bringing your supplications before him. The prayer of the upright is his delight. He loves to hear us come to him in prayer. He loves to talk to us. God is proud of Job in the sense that he delights in him as one of his elect children who is serving him in the right way. And this aspect of pride is appropriate. God is, is, is always uh, right in everything he does. And when he's proud of his children, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, and, and I believe God delights in his children when they serve him in the right way. But there's another aspect to this theme of pride that runs through Job, and that is the idea that Job himself was prideful, and his friends were certainly prideful. There was a lot of self-righteousness in the religious worship of that day, apparently, and, and it comes out in Job. And we're going to see that later on as we go through this book. I don't want to deal with it this morning, but, uh, but this is a theme uh, that we need to, need to remember. So... With that, with that background, and I know we've taken a quite a bit of time on background, I want us to move into the book of Job. Remember, the themes are the patience of Job, the pity of the Lord, and the pride of God, and that the Lord delights in the faithfulness of his children. And finally also, that Job, as good as he was, was a sinner and had issues with pride. Keep those, keep those in mind as we look into this book. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.